0: Darren's coming. That's good. So the first thing that I'd like to uh, say is that this morning, um, as so often happens, the Lord has graciously enabled us to see the theme being set for our service. We discover that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we looked at last week, was uh, the overriding theme, if you like, for the chapters three and four of Acts that we have now been working our way in. And I thoroughly enjoyed looking at the opening part of Acts chapter 3 because it talks very clearly about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But as I was preparing to talk today, it just dawned on me how important our relationship with Jesus Christ is. It's everything. It also struck me just how discourteous the world has become to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the work and person of our Savior. It's become so apparent in the way that our society is functioning and operating that the name of Jesus is the reason why people are hated so often. You see, the scriptures tell us that the world will hate us not because of who we are. Some of us are really nice people. But it's because of the name of Jesus that we will see a change in the way that people respond to us and so this morning we need to continue to look at the subjects that we started last week but we endeavor to just remind ourselves of the consideration of the fact that Acts chapters 3 and 4 it is the name of Jesus and I just remind you of those verses again that uh, speak so purposely of this so in chapter 3 verse 6 uh, Peter, looks, uh, Peter and John look down at the man who has been uh, lying. Uh, he's, he's been there 40 years, we're told in the scriptures. He was born with the lameness that he had. He's never experienced running around, jumping around, leaping and all the rest of it. And uh, Peter says, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. And then he says this, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. We go to verse 16, and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong. The emphasis that is taking place regarding the healing of this man is very clearly the name of Jesus. It is all of Jesus. We come to chapter 4 and verse 7. By what power or by what name have you done this? Because people are concerned, they're wanting to know what had happened. And it's fair to say that the Pharisees and the chief priests would have been much happier if Peter and John had been responsible. Because that would have saved them a great deal of problem, consternation and so on. And we'll come on to that point in a little bit. But uh, uh, chapter 4 verse 10, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and then we come to this stunning verse which is a verse that we know of uh, probably uh, didn't realize that it was contained here in Acts chapter 3 but we know it we quote it we tell other people about it we remind ourselves about it we remind others about it when we're listening to people talking and uh, we hear people saying all sorts of things as to how they're going to get to heaven and I tell you what there are a massive variety of options that people come up people are dependent upon so many different things. One of the greatest that you'll find in a society like ours is the fact that they are good. Intrinsically, they are good. That's the belief that they have. Intrinsically, why would God ever want to turn me away? And so verse 12 of chapter four says, nor is there salvation, rescue, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which... We must be saved. So as I say, the verses point very clearly to the fact that the name of Jesus is the name that has power. It is only through the name of Jesus that we are saved. In Peter's uh, um, sermon at the beginning of chapter 2, or in the middle part, rather, of chapter 2, we discover that Peter is making a defense of uh, what has taken place. The Holy Spirit has come into people's hearts and lives. The Holy Spirit was promised. Uh, Jesus had said that, I, that as he leaves, he will send the Holy Spirit. This is why he had to ascend back to heaven so the Holy Spirit could be given. And he Some incredible things happen. Things that we can't imagine perhaps in in many respects. Although as believers. And the more you become familiar with the scriptures. And I emphasize this. If you read the scriptures. And if you breathe the scriptures. And if you allow the Holy Spirit to work within you. And to just remind you. And to bring the scriptures alive within you. All of a sudden. Your mind is able to understand. And to see some of the things that were taking place. And as you read Acts chapter 2. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You could see how people men who were terrified suddenly become strong suddenly become brave and suddenly become bold they're emboldened and all of a sudden we see uh, various things taking place but others who are outside of the church who are outside of uh, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ can look in and they might say oh they've been drinking too much wine And so Peter makes a defense because the world will always try and belittle the work of the Holy Spirit. The world will always try and deflect your attention away from what is actually happening, which is God at work. And they will come up with all sorts of reasons to try and say, no, 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 this is what's happened. This is what's taking place. This is all understandable. This is all explainable. You even talk about things like the the, the ten plagues, okay? And people will come up with excuses and say, well, you know, it was an earthquake or it was a volcano and this, that, and the other happened. But we're not interested in that because we know God's at work. We know his word is to be trusted and it is to be depended upon. But here as we move into the next sermon that we have recorded for us that Peter preaches, and there's some lovely messages as you look through the whole of Acts, Uh, that you uh, discover are recorded for us. And it's great from time to time to be able to read them and to understand uh, what is uh, taking place. And maybe we can think about the apostolic preaching that we should have here within our fellowships. But in Peter's sermon here in Acts 3, Peter refutes the notion that it was he and John who had healed the man. And this is obviously of great importance. First of all, it's important because We must never get the idea that we are doing anything for God. It is God that works in us and through us. We cannot, in our strength, bring healing to people. It is only through the Holy Spirit, through God, working in us and through us that we're able to see this. As we preach and proclaim the gospel, again, it is the Holy Spirit working in us and we are enabled to preach the word of God I pray with power and conviction and passion and to be able to show to people that what has taken place in our hearts is real there's nothing worse than a half-hearted believer who mumbles and is not prepared to explain clearly and that happens as the Holy Spirit works in us so we find verse 12 which says men of Israel why do you marvel at this Or why look so intently at us? So you can imagine that the eyes of the crowd, and remember, we know from the scriptures here, chapter 4 tells us that there are thousands of people milling around this uh, colonnade, this area going into the temple. We also know that this colonnade is one of the places that Jesus preached regularly. Again, the scriptures explain that to us. We also know that it's in this colonnade where the church is meeting regularly. So believers are coming together and they're, they're witnessing. And I, you can imagine so the, 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 the temple police would like to say, we we'll have to get this lot moved out. We know a bit about that, don't we? So we're going to carry on and recognize that there are times when we have to go as the Holy Spirit leads us and we are going to make that stand. So we discover there as though by our own power or godliness we have made This man walked. So the emphasis that Peter wants to make absolutely clear, crystal clear, is don't look at us. Look up. Look to heaven. Look to Jesus because that's where uh, the power has come from. Peter is clearly explaining that Jesus is the source of the miracle. Now, sadly today, there are some people that seem to think that they're the source of the miracle. And we recognize that we have to be very careful on this respect. The moment... Um, the preacher wants to take the glory, then it's all wrong. Because it's not my words, it's his words. And it can only ever be. You know, my words, <laughs> in all honesty, will never change you. It, it's God's word that does and the scriptures the only book that we have that transforms people's lives and what a joy it is. So remember, if you see a sign, come to so-and-so's healing meeting. It's not so-and-so's healing meeting that you want to go to. It's to God. Now, of course, this generated the problem for the chief priest and the Pharisees This was not what they wanted to hear because it meant that they had some pieces of this jigsaw puzzle that they had to put into place, but they didn't want to because it meant something to people around. What was the problem to the Pharisees and the rulers of the Jews as they stood around watching and listening to Peter preach? Well, this is the problem because what they were saying, which was don't look at us, look to Jesus it simply meant that Jesus was alive do you see the problem it would have been so much easier if Peter had said I've healed this guy Because then that meant that the issues regarding the fact that they had just put Jesus to death, buried him, and then they've put out these stories that the body has been taken uh, by the disciples and so on. You see, what they didn't want was for people to see the power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ at work. And that's the same today. Because people don't want to see Jesus at work. And they'll do everything they can to to discredit the church, to try and stop the church. But we can't be stopped. Nobody's going to stop us. Because it's Jesus that drives us. It is in the indwelling presence of Jesus himself living within us that enables to do What's the words? I can't, he can. And that's where our power comes from. Now some of us, you know, you might get the impression that we're feeble and weak. Debbie's got her wheelchair with us. You don't want to be in the way when Debbie's moving on her wheelchair. But someone might say, what's Debbie got? Do you know what she's got? She's got the living Lord Jesus present in her heart and in her life. And some of the youngest kids here, they've, they've, they've got a beautiful testimony. And next week I'm hoping we're going to hear from an eight-year-old what Jesus has done for her. And it's a joy to be able to do this. And so that was the problem. And of course, the healed beggar himself was also a problem. <laughs> because he's the living evidence of Christ at work. So they didn't really like him. And he appears again in chapter 4. And he stood with Peter and John as they're accusing him in some sort of attempt to lock them up. as They, 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 they do in fact lock them up. And there he is. And, and the chief priest is saying, why does he have to stand there? Because he's in the way. You know, we can't do what we want to do because the people have seen this guy. They've walked over him for the last 40 years. They've given him alms. They know he's real. And they see that he's been healed. And he's saying it's because of the power of Jesus. And so we discover that all of this has caused them massive problems. The healed beggar was also a problem for them because he was the proof that Jesus was alive. You see, Jesus has become the stumbling block. And I need to remind you all that Jesus is still the stumbling block for our society. Not just for the people out and about, but people in churches as well. They will stumble... Over the rock that is Jesus. Now, this verse is a verse that we've probably not really noticed before. I was going to ask somebody to bring in uh, a a little cup full of uh, dirt or dust or gravel from outside for the end of the message. If someone feels led to do that, there's a cup on the back there and you can do that and bring it up to the front. But I only say as the Lord leads if that's uh, to happen. But this verse is one of these verses that, as I said, uh, we tend to not take in the detail on. We perhaps read it very quickly, found in Matthew 21, verse 44. So we're going to look at a couple of other verses very, very quickly. One of them is that we need to notice, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, another verse that people tend not to notice and take on board very quickly and very easily and then finally, we look at the fact that this verse is linked uh, with Acts chapter 4 and verse 11. So if you have your Bible, would you please keep it open at, uh, at Matthew 21 for the moment? And we'll read a few verses, if we may, from that. Oh, thank you. Okay, that's great. Just what I was looking for. It's so it's my going away gift. Okay, <laughs> fine. I'll try not to drink it. <laughs> and so uh, the section of Scripture that we have... Um, Uh, Contained here uh, is one, as I said, that we can uh, skip over perhaps very quickly. Verse 44 says, and wait for it, I need you to listen carefully. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. Will be broken. And the verse goes on and adds something else. And it says, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now that's not the sort of verse we like, is it? Particularly because all of a sudden, this is telling us something about Jesus. Now, just before we move on to um, uh, to to explain this a little bit more, we just turn, if we may, uh, to one Corinthians four, and uh, sorry, one Corinthians ten, and verse four. Now, I'll read a few verses uh, just before it because it helps us to set the scene. The Apostle Paul is talking here and he says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Have you ever noticed that verse before? So in your mind's eye, you can now imagine the children of Israel are ambling through the desert, thinking about cucumbers back in Egypt, or melons or whatever it was. And the ones at the back of the queue looked, and this rock is following them. Because that's what the scripture says here. Okay? Okay? The rock that followed them, that rock was Christ. Now, the rock actually yielded water. And Jesus is the rock. And the spiritual water that we need in our lives, the refreshment we need, comes from the same rock. And time and time again, the Lord Jesus Christ is described as the rock. And now we move to uh, uh, chapter 4 of Acts. Chapter 4, verse 11. This is the stone which was rejected by you, builders which has become the chief cornerstone. And so we see clearly the references to the Lord Jesus Christ as the rock. But that verse in Matthew 21, surely Jesus is meant to save us, not grind us, a powder yeah but the verse says if you reject Christ here's your future anybody want to be ground dust to dust or whatever it is So I'll leave that there just to keep your eye focused. Okay, leave the water as well because there's a good significance in, in that. Surely Jesus is meant to save you, not grind you to powder. And of course he does save This is is why he appeared. This is why he came into the world. This is why God graciously sent his son because he saw a world that was in desperate need of being saved from the sin which was entangling them and was causing them to be separated from himself. He saw the way in which humanity was imploding and was causing problems amongst itself because it needed the guidance that only came through the indwelling presence of God in our world. This doesn't sound like the Jesus that I thought was always loving and kind. And I was speaking, I think it was my wife who spoke to somebody recently. uh, And they were complaining because somebody had spoken to them about the gospel. And they said this, they even said, Jesus loves me. Well, don't you rejoice in the fact that Jesus loves you? I do. But Jesus has become an offense. And the fact that he loves them is even more offensive to them. Because they don't want his love. They're not interested in the fact that the gospel always begins by shining a light on us. Because if you don't know you're a sinner, then you don't realize you need salvation. Well, as we saw last week, our salvation always begins with God's love. Uh, Some people like to quote uh, that verse in John uh, John chapter 3, which says God is love, or is it chapter 2? And the essence of what they're trying to say is this, is that God loves, therefore he'll love me. Just as I am, I can do what I want, no change. I don't need anything special in my life because God loves me. God loves all of us, doesn't it? it doesn't matter what we're about. Well, the scripture says that he does, But he loves us so much that he did something about the situation that we're in and the division that there is between him and us. And so he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But for some of us, we're quite happy with, for example, our religion. We're quite happy because we like religion in many respects. One of the nice things about religion is that we're in control of it. We're the ones that follow the rules. We're the ones that make up the rules in many cases. We're the run ones that like to have uh, the boundaries set for us so that we see that as long as we do this, or at least as long as we try to do this, then everything's going to be hunky-dory, and everything's going to be all right, everything's going to be fine. And so religion is one of the things that we have comfort in. And the problem is, is that the Bible doesn't say that religion will save us in fact it says quite the opposite we know what is expected of us we're in control we know what to wear on a Sunday we know what not to wear on a Sunday we know how to behave during the course of the week and so on and do you know what we're going to give it our best and surely God is going to say well done you did your best and that's how we tend to look at it. And this is the way that the Pharisees thought as well. They knew the law. In fact, they'd made up most of the law, so they knew it intimately. They had created lots and lots of things just to make life hard for us, okay? Uh, For the people around them. That's what they liked doing. They would create the rules as they went along, and, and we see the scriptures explaining that to us very clearly. They knew the law and what was expected of them, and from the moment Jesus appeared... He spoiled everything for them. Sorry to put it so bluntly. Maybe that's too practical for us. Maybe that's not spiritually (laughs) sounding enough. But they had a plan. And Jesus comes along. And he spoils it for them. (laughs) Because they would be on the pedestal. I was going to look for something to stand on, but there's nothing here. They'd lift themselves up. They would be the ones that people would look at. In fact, Acts 4, verse 11, and we've read this verse already, we are told exactly this. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Now, it is fair to say that the sermon Peter preached here in Acts 3 is probably not the kind of sermon that we would put together for an evangelistic meeting. Although I've been thinking about this and praying about it, and I'm not so sure that that statement is entirely accurate anymore. The reason I say that is because the, the message that Peter preaches here contained an ingredient which we seem to have become um, afraid to talk about. You see, the reality is, is that the congregation in front of him, the people in front of him, they needed to hear what was being spoken of. The people that Peter was addressing knew the scriptures. We see that because he talks uh, in verse uh, 13 um, of chapter 3. He knows the people well and he says, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? And then he goes on to say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he was determined to let him go. So very clearly, the congregation that he has have an understanding of what had taken place um, recently in Jerusalem. Peter has a similar approach uh, here as he did in, in the message that he preaches in Acts 2. He talks about the way that the Jewish leaders had treated Jesus, how they had arrested Jesus. He explains the fact that everything they had done was out of evilness and greed and selfishness because they had taken the Messiah and murdered him. They were guilty of murder. And then, as always happens to a murderer, what's the first thing a murderer does? He lies about the situation. It wasn't me, okay? And the lies, I mean, it, it's anything that we do, isn't it? It's always lies that come up next you, you. You interview your three-year-old, you know, and she's got the object, the offending object in her hand, but she denies it, okay? And it's not just three-year-olds that have that particular problem, <laughs> Okay and how they had crucified Jesus. Now we don't know for sure, but if we go to Acts two and verse thirty seven, we're just reminded of this Acts two thirty seven. Now when they heard everything that Peter had to say as to what had happened to Jesus, the crowd there were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, if you've ever been cut to the heart, it's not an experience that you enjoy. It hurts. It's uncomfortable. And it reduces you in your stature because suddenly you realize that it was you It was all of you. You see, there must be conviction before a sinner can experience conversion. Now, you might not be feeling particularly well. You may go to the doctor. And the thing is, is that if you don't think there's anything wrong with you, then you're not going to take the whole issue seriously. Uh, Sometimes when we go for a medical, the doctor might, I had a friend who uh, went for a, a job and he had to go for a medical. And he went along to, uh, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the doctor who was providing the medical. And uh, th- you know how the nurse does, if you've ever been for a medical, the nurse does all those sorts of like, you know, it takes your blood pressure and things like that. And uh, anyway, the nurse was doing what she was doing. And uh, there was silence. And my friend, recognized that the silence wasn't good and then the doctor comes in with the nurse leading him and they have to inform him that they have found quite a serious condition where there was a a, a bulge in an artery artery. and if the bulge breaks uh, uh, that could be the end of it And my friend went there with absolutely no idea that his life was hanging on a thread. But it was. And it was only when he knew that there was a problem that he was prepared to accept the treatment that was then given to him. And friends, this is the same for us. Unless we know we're a sinner, unless we recognize a need in our heart and in our life for God, then we're never going to call out for salvation. We're never going to recognize everything that Christ has done for us. We will not want to hear Christ speaking to us, the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And this is why Peter insisted that everybody hearing him preach understood That it was Jesus who had healed the man. Because that proved Jesus was alive. But this was the stumbling block for them. They just couldn't accept that Jesus was alive. And that he had been raised from the grave. And that he was in heaven seated with his father. They couldn't accept that Jesus was God. And so Peter turned the temple courtyard there. The colonnade that he was in into a courtroom. And he laid the evidence out for everybody to see. And chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us that there were thousands of people milling milling around. And out of those thousands, 5,000 were saved. 5,000 heard the message, were, were convicted of their sin, and they turned to the Savior. So you see, it is possible for you. And it starts, the gospel always starts with our conviction of sin. And that conviction leads us to meet Jesus. And we rejoice in that. You see, how could two ordinary fishermen? I mean, you know, let's, let's be honest about this. You know, these guys weren't educated. Well, they were in fishing. They knew how to make nets and repair them. They knew the time of the day to go out and fish for these fish. But they were so busy doing that, they didn't have time to go to school and to learn and have degrees and PhDs and all those sorts of things. In fact, uh, there's a verse uh, which I always take great comfort from, and maybe you do as well, uh, in uh, chapter 4, verse 13. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, this is the uh, chief priest and, and uh, the ruling Jewish council. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived. Now, have you ever wondered to yourself, what does that word perceived mean there? Maybe it was their accent. They didn't sound like they'd been to university. Okay, I don't know, could have been. But they perceived that they were, not, that they were uneducated and untrained men and they marveled at this so there's a church that joe and i um go to in the netherlands uh which is um, it's a baptist church and it's in the city of ada and uh it's it's great to see a baptist church with a couple of hundred people there they, they took over the old catholic church and I, for some some reason um they, they they've been able to make this this church and they've They've, they've, it's beautiful and it's still got all the stained glass windows. I know some people have trouble with stained glass windows, but it's rather nice. And the man who preaches, my wife said, Yeah, he's obviously Dutch, the pastor of the church. And when I spoke to him afterwards in English, he had a perfect Liverpudlian accent, a Scouser accent. Okay, and I'm thinking to myself, There's no way he can be Dutch because. Not only is his accent, um, you know, his his English perfect, but his accent is a regional accent in England. Now in England, is there anyone from Liverpool here before I get myself into serious trouble? You know, you, you wouldn't, there's not many people who go to university from Liverpool, okay? But do you see what I'm getting at? Now it just so happens that his mum was from Liverpool and his dad was Dutch, which meant he ended up speaking perfect Dutch and perfect Liverpoolian. And, That verse encourages me because they perceived that they were uneducated. But they marveled at what they said. They marveled at everything they were talking about because the Holy Spirit was speaking through them. And it was incredibly exciting what was taking place. Look at the picture. Okay, hands up. Has anyone been in that situation? Okay, nobody's been in that situation yet. But according to the scriptures, you could be. Because that's what verse Matthew twenty one, verse forty four says. Okay. Now rocks have consequences, don't they? Has anyone stubbed their toe recently on a bit of concrete? Oh, Emma has. Anybody else? Does it hurt? Hands up for pain, absolutely. It is incredibly painful when you stub your toe. Okay, so I'm telling you, rocks hurt. They hurt us physically. And there are consequences that come when we're in contact with rock. Okay? If you drive your car into a rock, there's consequences. If you trip over the edge of a rock and you fall on it, well, you can break bones. People have broken their ankles, their legs, their shin bones, whatever it is, because they've tripped over a rock. Now, Emma, we call her calamity Emma, okay? And there are times when Emma trips over things and uh, she's got more bruises and scrapes and stuff, okay? She's a joy, actually. We love her. But rocks hurt. And if a large enough rock falls on you, It could kill you. That's the reality of it. And in Matthew 21, the chief priests and the elders of the people confront Jesus. They confront him over his authority, which of course is the thing that they always confronted him over. And friends, nothing's changed. Because people do not want to know anything about the authority of Of Jesus Christ. Because if you take the authority of Jesus Christ, that means you've got to change your life. And you'll only do that when you submit to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And He works a miracle in you, and He changes you, and He transforms you. Metamorphosis takes place. And from the ugly grub, you become the beautiful butterfly. It's a beautiful picture that we have there. And it's real. So in Matthew 21, the chief priests are talking about and confronting him over his authority. We see that in verse uh, 23. So again, have your Bible open now. And we're going to look at some verses very quickly. So verse 23, uh, because they say to him, and by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Because you see, that's where it all stemmed from. If they could disprove the authority then they could deal with the problem of Jesus very simply. But they couldn't deal with it. And then Jesus, of course, uh, replies by asking them a question. And the question that our Lord asks uh, them or says to them in reply, but, uh, verse 24, but Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. It's a strange answer, isn't it? You know, this this is not the direction that they thought this conversation was going to go in. The baptism of John, where was it from? And then our Lord gives them two options. It's a multi-choice question here. Don't you like multi-choice questions when when you're doing your exams because you know there's a pretty good chance that you're going to get, you know, have a stab at it and get it right. From where was it? From heaven or from men? That's the option that's given to them. Okay, so whoever's changed the clock, it's now 10 past nine. We'll keep going because we just got a bit to, to talk through here. Um, but I, I'll try and round it up quite quickly. So by what authority? And this is, this, Jesus gives them this option. And they reasoned among themselves and they said, if from heaven, he will say us, say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, we don't know. Which, of course, is the obviously default option to go for. And then our Lord tells two parables. And we know the parables quite well. And the second parable, of course, is related to the vineyard where uh, the man who owns the vineyard um, Uh, sends uh, when when the harvest is ready he sends his guys to go and get his fair share perfectly reasonable arrangement and the guys who are renting or leasing the vineyard they're not interested in giving up any of the grapes any of the wine and so they kill the guys and eventually the man uh, says well they might do that to my servants but if i send my son they'll never kill him will they will they exactly and that's exactly what they did okay And, of course, Jesus is pointing out that that is the situation that uh, he's there. Then Jesus told them the parables. You see, Jesus is speaking of himself as he gives these parables. And to make sure that they get it, he then quotes from a messianic prophecy, which is Psalm 118. And the the, the words that he quotes are found there in verse 42, which reads, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So again, our Lord brings it squarely back to he being the rock and the chief cornerstone. Jesus is speaking of himself as he gives these parables, and to make sure that they get it, he quotes from Psalm 118. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, which links us back to Acts 4, verse 11. Now, you've seen signs like this, although not often around here, but if you've driven to other parts of Canada and if you go to parts of of Europe, you will see signs like this. Caution, falling rocks. And that's the picture, if you like, that is being presented to us here in Matthew 21, verse 44. The progression is logical. You see, what our Lord is saying is you rejected John the Baptist and he was the forerunner of me. If you reject him, you're never going to accept me, are you? So it's terribly logical. A rejection of John the Baptist leads one naturally to a rejection of Christ to whom John pointed. And when he saw Jesus coming along, he points and says in a loud voice, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the problem was, John as a prophet made it clear who Jesus was. But if you're not going to accept John, then you'll never accept Jesus. The rock in Matthew twenty-one forty-four is Jesus. In saying that those who fall on this rock will be broken to pieces, Jesus is warning against opposing him. Now, this is the, the crux of this message. Some of you have been rejecting Jesus for a long time. And as far as you're concerned, you're going to carry on doing that because you've got yourself into a groove where you've got your religion sorted out. You're happy because it's not too demanding. Oh, okay, it's a nuisance having to wear a tie on Sunday or something. But you're happy. And everybody else thinks you're okay. You know, They all think you're going to heaven. And they might even be thinking to themselves, I wish I was like so-and-so because he's going to heaven and I'm not but the truth is they don't know. And Jesus is warning us here. He's saying those who fall on this rock will be broken into pieces. So Jesus is warning against opposing him and we live in a world which at every turn is opposing Jesus. Our government opposes every word that Jesus has spoken. Our society in the way that it is developed has developed directly as a rejection of the word of God, of the scriptures. And then, of course, the verse goes on. Defying Jesus is like beating one's head against a solid rock. That's, you know. If you've tried it, it might give you some relief for the moment. I met a guy who managed to smack his fist through the wall, and he went right through it. But it only gave a temporary relief. And then he had sore knuckles for the next couple of weeks. In saying that those... Upon who the rock falls, Jesus uh, will be crushed. Jesus is warning against ignoring him or trivializing him. And our society does everything it can to trivialize Jesus. The fact that the calendar is dated to his birth. The fact that we see and recognize so many things in this world. That can only come from a creator God and Jesus created the world then we discover that we are indeed opposing him apathy toward jesus is like standing in the way of falling rocks looking up oh i say that one looks loose Roadrunner. runner one of those cartoons remember and the rock falls down splat the trouble is we're not living in a cartoon you can't lift the rock off and spring back to life I'm here to do God's work. Jesus is essentially saying the foundation of the church will be laid. It is unwise to oppose me because God's work is not inconsequential. And I warn all of us when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ don't stand in its way because it's Christ's church, He is the chief cornerstone you can criticize try and tear it down all you want but don't stand in its way the stone which the builders rejected matthew 21:42 is jesus and although jesus is rejected he becomes the chief cornerstone as we see again in acts 4:11 and the rock in matthew 21:44 is also jesus and these verses are warning us that to reject jesus has consequences And tonight, we're going to look in the gospel message at truth or consequences. Because you turn your back on the truth, you will pay a consequence. And here it is. I could tip it on the floor, but I'd feel sorry for Bonnie and, uh, and, uh, and Bev for clearing it up. That's it. So I remember it clearly. Um, My brother and I were sat in the back. My father was driving, my mum in the front seat. And we came down a sweeping road with a bend towards the bottom in the seaside town of Bude in North Devon. A beautiful place. There's some wonderful beaches there. And as we came to the bottom my father uh, had a phone and it was the pastor of the church in Reading where my my father was an elder and the pastor said David, I'm just calling to let you know that Pete, the pastor's 20-year-old son had died in a climbing accident at Yatton's Craig near Bristol in the southwest of England. It was a terribly sad accident. Pete was one of these outward guys who was always taking groups from the church and other places to go abseiling and climbing. And he was stood over the edge of Atten's Craig and he was just getting the rope after they, they were just packing up and going home. And the last rope he, was, he grabbed or picked up, he'd untied the end, which was secured to the anchor point, And he was just pulling it up and winding it up. And one of the kids at the bottom thought for a laugh, I'll give it a tug. And he tugged it with just enough strength for Pete to lose his balance. And he tumbled over the cliff. And he sustained massive head injuries. About a 100 foot drop or 75 foot or so. You see, rocks hurt. And that's why we don't mess with the rock of Jesus Christ by rejecting him. Jesus Christ is indeed the son of God. Jesus is God. And Peter and John and the other apostles made sure that everybody knew that the man was healed through the name and the power of Jesus Christ through faith in him the man received his strength and healing from Jesus and so the message we have this morning and i say this without any concern because the other part of uh, of this particular passage of scripture is the fact that peter spoke with boldness okay and we as a church have to speak with boldness we've got some battles coming up guys So we can either hide under a rock or we can declare the rock. And I believe it's right that we stand on the rock because that's where our foundation is. Don't oppose God. There are Christians, people who are believers, who oppose God and his work. Sometimes Satan comes along, gives us ideas that we've, allowed to come into our lives and we've become opposers but we can't do that don't shake your fist at god it will always end badly for you don't be crushed to dust by the rock who is jesus verse 31 we have to proclaim with boldness all that christ